0: reading this morning is from Galatians 2, verses 17 to 21. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Our focus this morning is on verses 17 to 20 of uh, chapter 2 of the book of Galatians. And this is a, a difficult little section. But we can really make sense of these verses by recognizing they're answering one big question. And this question can be phrased in many different ways, but there is only one issue here. Let me suggest three ways in which we could ask this question, and there are many more. But Paul is asking, does justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, lead to licentiousness or, or lawlessness? Since our works do not save us, Does that mean that our works do not matter and we can live our lives doing as we please? Does this gospel message mean that that God is really like some uh, doting grandfather who allows his grandchildren to run amok without any intervention or discipline? Those are the same question I hope you realize. And in answer to that we're going to look at just two very simple points. Again, two questions. Are Christians free to sin? And are Christians free to serve? Freedom to sin? Question mark. Verses 17 and 18. Paul writes, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Paul, as we were considering last Sunday morning, and as we have uh, been challenged with this message throughout our study in Galatians, he wants us to understand that he has made a choice. And he, he wants this choice to be experienced by all. It's necessary for a true believer. That in accepting the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross as the sole means of his salvation. He has rejected the keeping of the law for such a purpose. He has, as he says, demolished a wall. He's not about to rebuild it. Now there was a time, as we know, when Paul then saw the Pharisee expended endless efforts in his desire to keep the law. And he has now come to understand that he did all of this with one purpose. He did it utterly consumed with self. All his good works were focused on gaining for himself hard-earned commendations from God. His spiritual trophy cabinet, as it were, was full of awards. And he spent his days polishing and and prizing all his little victories. The achievements of his own hands until he met with Jesus. And then everything changed. Now it's as if he's singing those old gospel hymns. You know, in the old... Rugged cross stained with blood, so divine a wondrous beauty I see. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to pardon and sanctify me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross till I exchange it some day for a cry. Or again, And when before the throne I stand in him complete, I'll lay my trophies down, all down at Jesus' feet. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You see, Paul had all these trophies attained through his righteous, law-keeping life. But now they are all discarded because the cross is his only treasure. And freedom was the outcome. Later in in Galatians 5 verse 1 we'll hear Paul declare. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now we need to understand. That to live a life that trusts only in the merits of Jesus Christ for our salvation inevitably leads to criticism from self righteous religious people who will interpret Paul's claim to no freedom in Christ as a freedom to sin. There is a price to be paid for effective gospel ministry. It's a simple rule that if your preaching is, is, is right and if your living is Christ-like, then you will be accused, you will be criticized. It's an unspoken rule if, if a preacher is not being accused of antinomianism, of being against the law of God, well then he's probably not preaching the gospel. I was reading through uh, some comments on Twitter yesterday, and I I really liked this comment. It was a big discussion about a certain issue, but but, uh, I really liked someone who said something along these lines. He said, anybody who's annoying that many religious people must be doing something right. 2,000 years ago, it was the religions, it was the self-righteous who nailed Jesus to the cross. They viewed his practice, his preaching, as promoting sin. You're you're all familiar with with Luke 15, that lovely chapter where Jesus tells three beautiful stories of God's saving work. But that chapter begins, verses 1 and 2, with these words. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They misjudge Jesus. They reach their conclusion that if this man welcomes sinners, if this man shares mean fellowship with sinners, well, it's very clear he condones their sin. Therefore, he is a promoter of sin. Many times the Apostle Paul was condemned in similar manner. But he carried on regardless for the cause of Christ. You know those uh, words he writes in First Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 19, he says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law In its blessing. Paul had experienced freedom in Christ. And he used his freedom to become all things to all people. That he might be the means of saving some. He lived his life for the sake of the gospel. And gospel ministry always comes with a high price tag. It's always criticized. It's always misunderstood. By self-righteous religious people. I'm sure some of you have before heard the story of Joseph Damien. Who on the 10th of May 1873 began to minister to those with leprosy. Who had been placed in a little community in isolation on the island of Molokai in Hawaii. And those 816 people among whom he served uh, grew to love him. He, He lived out a life of sacrifice before them. And one morning, uh, Damien was about to lead worship. He was making himself a cup of tea and he poured some boiling water into a cup and it swirled around and spilled over and poured onto his bare foot, blistering the skin. And it took him a moment to realize what had happened. There was no pain, no sensation. Gripped by the fear of what this could mean, he, he poured another little bit onto the same spot. Again, there was no feeling whatsoever. And Damien immediately knew what had happened. And that morning as he went in to commence his uh, morning worship, no one at first noticed that something was different. Normally he began every service with these words, my fellow believers. But that morning he began by saying, my fellow leper. Joseph Damien had for the sake of the gospel become as one of them. And that's a, that's a familiar sermon illustration. I'm sure you've heard it before. But what I'd forgotten was that a local Presbyterian minister, the Reverend Charles McEwan Hyde, uh, after the death of Joseph Damien, wrote a letter. He wrote a letter to a friend, but his friend had it published in a San Franciscan newspaper. And that letter severely criticized Damien. And this man who's Self-giving sacrificial service was widely admired, but Hyde called him a coarse, dirty man who contracted leprosy due to his own carelessness. It was Robert Louis Stevenson, the author, who shortly after Damien's death went to visit Molokai and spent some time there, and he investigated the story and he pointed out that Hyde's criticisms were unfounded and inappropriate. But the point is made that when someone sacrifices himself, when someone seeks to serve others, when they give themselves for the gospel, gospel ministry always comes with a high price tag, coming alongside sinners with a desire that they might be saved, will always be misunderstood, always be misinterpreted. And the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, operating in the hearts of believers, frees them, indeed compels them to associate with sinners, to love sinners, to serve sinners, all with the desire that the Lord might use them as his instruments to see sinners see. To say with Paul that for the sake of the gospel I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Paul asks the question, does this then mean that for the sake of the gospel we have freedom to sin? He asks the question bluntly, is Christ a servant of sin? And the answer is rendered in various translations, certainly not. May it never be. God forbid. By no means. That's unthinkable. Of course not. Uh, the Council of Trent in the mid-16th century was the response of the Roman Catholic Church to the Reformation. And there, the doctrine of justification was described as a, a legal fiction. A legal fiction, it's a bit like entering into a marriage you know, for the purposes of immigration. There's no intent on the couple to, to be in a loving relationship or even to live together, but to get a little bit of paper so that someone can live in a country, they have a marriage. And the Council of Trent suggested that Luther's view of justification suggested that someone might be justified, legally declared righteous before God, but at the same time their heart be completely untouched, unchanged, unmoved. But Paul here, as he writes in Galatians, is saying that simply cannot be, must not be. The faith in Jesus Christ that saves must necessarily be a faith that sanctifies. Now last Sunday morning we did, did talk a lot about justification. But we must understand that where justification is genuine, it necessarily leads to sanctification. To a transformed life. So last Sunday morning. In our catechism question, question 34. This was asked. Since we are redeemed by grace alone. Through Christ alone. Must we still do good works. And obey God's word? And the answer is yes. Because Christ. Having redeemed us by his blood. Also renews us by his spirit. So that our lives may show love and gratitude to God. So that we may be assured of our faith by the fruits. And so that by our godly behavior, others may be one for Christ. You see, when God invades the heart of his child by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. He saves us from the power of sin and and from the, the penalty of sin. Sin no longer holds sway in our heart. And the consequence is not a freedom to go and sin as we please, but rather to go and serve a freedom to serve. Let's look at verses nineteen and twenty, Galatians two nineteen and twenty. For though or for through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life. I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul explains that the life of the Christian necessarily involves being crucified with Christ. Todd Wilson, who's president of the Center for Pastor Theologians, states, We cannot be firmly rooted in the gospel and not experience a kind of sacrifice And suffering that we might very well call death. If there's no death in our life, there's probably no gospel either. Now perhaps you understand a little bit of what that that means in theory. But I'm not convinced that God's people have really understood what it means in practice. What does it mean for us to be crucified with Christ? Again, you're familiar with those words with which we began our service this morning. Luke 9.23 where Jesus said that anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now 2,000 years ago, if you were to meet someone walking down the road carrying their cross, you knew before a day or two would be over, that person would be dead. But we don't see people carrying crosses on our streets today. We have sanitized the cross. We have given it a religious sheen. We have taken away its offense and we have taken away its power. But note Paul's words. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The cross of Christ in which believers must share. Leads not only to a death to sin, but also to a death to self. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said famously, When Jesus bids a man come, he bids him come and die. So it's a very simple question of application. How much dying to self have you Engaged in today. If, if taking up your cross is to be a daily experience. Is that marked in how you live your life? I suspect and it has been my experience that what really happens is that Christians rather than be willing to die to self. Are really quite upset if they're even in a small way inconvenienced. If we don't get things in our own way. If, heaven forbid, someone would sit in our pew and we have to move one room forward and sit somewhere else. How could you expect us to do that? Do you remember the good old days when we had pews? People are not prepared to be inconvenienced for Christ. And yet we're called to die to self for Christ. The doctrine of justification by grace alone does not simply produce a pattern of, of sinfulness. It does not sorry, promote a pattern of sinfulness, but promotes a pattern of selflessness. It doesn't give us a freedom to sin. No, the very opposite. It gives us a freedom to die to self that we might serve others. It causes us to lift our eyes, not to be focused on the here and now, the temporal, but on the eternal. And the life of faith, of which Paul writes, means that the faith that enables the Christian life to commence is the same faith that day by day we rely on to enable the Christian life to continue. Scott McKnight comments, Those who have been justified live justly. Those who have been made holy in Christ live holy lives. Those who have experienced God's love love others. Those who have experienced God's forgiveness forgive others. When we receive this gift of grace in Jesus Christ, it cannot leave us unchanged for it to be real, for us to be justified, we must also be in that process of being sanctified, made to be like Jesus, made to become selfless in our living, sacrificial in our self-giving. There must be a change. I think at all times we have a little hankering for nostalgia, especially as you start to get old. You think, oh, remember the good old days? No? But has anybody really got a hankering for outside toilets? On a rainy day, do you really wish that you still had to get your keys out and put them into the car door and turn the key to get the car door open and not simply just press a button? Do you not realize that you no longer have a longing to stand in the backyard and run your laundry through a mangle? And you delight in the spin cycle of your electric washing machine. And the truth is that once we have experienced the better by far. We put the past behind us and we determine never to return there. And the saving faith that we experience in Jesus Christ is not just the turning over of a new leaf. It's the living of a new life. It's not a matter of trying harder. There's no trying involved. Because the Christ-honoring life of the believer is impelled by the indwelling Spirit of God. It's never through our own efforts. We submit to His power and authority in our living. This is the transforming power of the gospel. Justification by faith alone. in Christ alone is not a legal formula for a forgiven life. It's a, it's a friendship. It's a, 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 a consuming relationship with a living Savior. It's not just a set of rules and regulations. It is this relationship that lasts for eternity. It's not legal fiction. It's not a marriage of convenience, but a deep, loving, and lasting bond that transforms our hearts in time and for eternity. As you live and love this Jesus. Who first loved you and gave himself for you. Dying that you might live. Rising that you might live forever. We have no freedom to sin in the gospel. But we are free to serve. Sacrificing self. Making much of Jesus. Living out of love for him. May that be our lives in this and every day to his glory. Let's pray together. Father, as we look to you, we thank you that you do the work within us. We don't have to grit our teeth, clench our fists, and resolve to live this way. Rather, we have simply to open our lives to the work of your Spirit applying your word, that we, as Christ has sacrificed himself for us, would sacrifice ourselves in service and love to him. Lord, help us understand the implications of daily taking up our cross to follow, daily laying down our lives. Father, forgive us that so often we are unwilling to do so. We're not even prepared to have minor inconveniences for the sake of the gospel never mind death to self and self-interest. Lord, we ask for your transforming power to be evident in us so that when people meet us, they may mock us, but they will not disregard the transformation in our lives. Lord, may we live so sold out to you that we show ourselves not to be of this world, to be citizens of heaven, where one day we'll worship around your throne for all eternity. Thankful to you for your salvation, bought at such a price, given with such grace and freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.